Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Well, after 72 days of looking, Tottenham's search for Antonio Conte's successor has led them to Celtic's Ange Postacoglu. So what makes Tottenham chairman Daniel Levy believe he's found the right man to reignite the club? I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. Joining us for this one, the Athletics Tottenham writer Charlie Eccleshare and from Australia Code Sports, Adam Peacock. Before we do the Tottenham side of things, we should do the man side of things, really, and focus on Postacoglu. Um, I was talking to a Celtic fan last night, Adam, who said in his two years at the club, he has never put a word wrong, which is some doing in the Glasgow fishbowl so I mean he he is a um he just I've always found with him he just gets it wherever he is he does Mark because he's a a fan at heart he still talks back his football hero is his dad as weird as that sounds because he's the man that introduced him to football and used to take him along every Sunday afternoon to watch his favorite club which had a, a strong Greek heritage and Ange and his family, obviously emanating from Greece and migrating to Australia um, in the big migration of the 60s and 70s, uh, South Melbourne. And that's where Ange fell in love with the game. And ever since, all he's wanted to do is impress his father with how he played football. And then when he retired at the age of 27, how he coached football. And that still resonates with him today because he gets what the people who are paying their money to go and watch his football sides, he gets what they are thinking, he gets what they want, and he gets what they crave. So I'm not surprised in two years he's somehow managed to impress everyone in Glasgow, well, half of Glasgow at least, and, uh, yeah, he leaves with that reputation. Well, he's probably impressed the other half of Glasgow by leaving. I think they'll they'll, they'll, be, they'll be quite happy about that. Um, but And even though his dad is no longer alive, his dad is still the driving force behind Postacoglu. Yeah, your product of your environment and all of that, and we can go into child psychology and all of that, but yeah. Yeah, but no, it's important, Adam, isn't it? I mean, he is, is, I mean, look, I don't don't know him, but he is a, he he strikes, he's a working class family man who recognises what his parents sacrificed to give him the life that he has had. Yeah, and he, he he always says his dad was hard on him. He, he barely gave him any kind of credit for something good that he did. 
famously after winning the 2015 Asian Cup, he, he went and showed his winner's medal to his dad and he said, Dad, what do you think of that? And he goes, well, yeah, I'm proud of you, son, but really you should have wrapped it up before it got to extra time because if you made this up here and made this up. So, so there was that kind of weird standoffish father-son relationship. It, it, was, it was connected with a deep love of football and that's where their deep love and affection for each other really linked them. So I, I, I don't think that'll ever leave Ange. And look, he's, he's got tunnel vision about how he wants football to be played and how he wants it to uh, be impressed upon the people that are paying to watch that said team and how he wants to impress fans and how he wants his players to act on the pitch. And all of it is set in stone. So he's bringing that. He's not going to change too much from Celtic to Tottenham. Obviously, a few more eyeballs on him and expectation in a different way. But I I can't see the man changing too much. Are the fan base mixed over this appointment? Charlie and I wonder whether it comes down to age I think you know if you are if you are a middle-aged man like myself you see lots of you see you you have you're full of admiration for him I wonder if you're a a TikTok I don't mean this disparagingly but if you're a TikTok generation and and impressed by big names then Mm. you may have more doubts I think there's been a shift over the last week or so I think initially some fans felt a bit underwhelmed and a sense of and who and I can't speak for everyone. This is more sort of the sure. social media fans who who have access to all that there is on the internet about Ange Postacoglu. And I think as they watch some of his interviews, as they see some of his team talks, they warm to him because you. I think you struggle not to because he is a really, really impressive orator, as Adam mentioned there. And so I think now... I think broadly fans are a bit more supportive of it. Of course, some are sceptical and ask those questions. How is it that a guy at 57 is only getting his first job at a big European league now? I'm sure we'll get into that later. But I think a lot of people are open-minded to it as well, because especially, you know, you think of the context that the, the previous, two of the previous three managers have been Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte, and people will have different views on why it didn't work out for those two at Spurs, but the bottom line is it didn't. You know, they went for the big lie, the big name, possibly vanity appointment, you know, showing that we're a big club. We can get in the great Mourinho, the great Conte. That didn't work. So I think some fans are a bit more open-minded to trying someone like Postacoglu. Pochettino remains the benchmark and, you know, his profile wasn't massive when he came in, obviously. He he sort of engendered a, a great spirit and I think Postacoglu will do something similar. And a lot of fans are excited about that. He's kind of used to the Anju and the scepticism though, isn't he, Adam? I mean, he said after the Scottish Cup final... Yeah, let's not beat about the bush. I was a joke when I was appointed. Um, a lot of people made fun of my appointment, but the supporters, for their own reasons, just put their collective arms around me and said, no, he's one of ours. Yeah, and and that manifested itself a couple of ways. Firstly, the fact that he was a joke. Well, I was sitting here, it was two years ago pretty much to the day, I'm, I'm sitting here flicking through social media just laughing my head off at some of the reaction to, who is this bloke? What does he know? An Australian in his 50s, what is going on? I knew what they were getting. Mm. Not many people did. In Japan, they knew what they were getting. I'm not really okay with Japanese unless they hit the translate button on Twitter, but I'm sure they were thinking the same thing <laughs> as well. So here we are again, in a, in a lesser way, because there's more known in the United Kingdom, because Celtic, although it's north of the border there in, in Scotland, there, there is a bit known about Scottish football, certainly more about Scottish football than there is about Japanese and Australian football in England. But um, yeah, he his masterstroke in the first week or so in taking over and getting on the pitch at Celtic 
was putting out a, oh, it was a three, four-minute video of him on the training pitch basically taking a session and telling the players what he wanted. Now, this was staged. It wasn't staged because he was actually doing it yeah. for a coaching purpose, but it was no accident that he had a microphone on and it was no accident that it made it out into the public domain because it was basically, here, if you, if you want to know what I'm about, this is what I'm about. And all the messages were like, we never stopped, weren't they? Yeah, it was like yeah. Enya being played in the ears of all these Celtic <laughs> fans trying to meditate <laughs> down from being hitting the roof about this Australian 50-something-year-old taking over, and it worked. Well, it's so striking, the similarities with the job he took over at Celtic. You know, at that point, they'd just lost the league uh, to Rangers. They were playing unattractive football. There was boardroom upheaval. Uh, a massive rebuild of the squad was needed. You could say all of those things really about the job he's taking on at Tottenham. And it's so interesting talking to people who've played under Postacoglu or worked alongside him or covered him. The sort of certainty they have that if given time, and that is a big if, he will be a success. And they say it was exactly the same at Celtic. Um, it's been, And what's so interesting about the Postacoglu story is that every step of the way he's been doubted. He's always had to overcome doubters. He's rarely been the first choice when he's been appointed. A lot of his moves have seemed strange. And he's always made those doubters look stupid. Uh, the, the other thing to point out to people, by the way, if they aren't sort of au fait with the Scottish Premiership, they didn't just lose the title. To, to yeah. Rangers the year before the year before he took over Charlie. I mean, they were twenty five yeah. points. points behind, right? yeah. they, were, they were an absolute yeah. basket case, and and for him to turn that round in a by the end of the following season. I mean that 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 is the there are two things I think that you've mentioned there. One, it's he obviously manages up very well as man, mm-hmm. as well as managing down, which will be interesting at, at Tottenham. Yeah, but the other thing with your Pochettino line is. They have someone now who um, maybe doesn't think that Tottenham are lucky to have them, mm-hmm. which I kind of think, which is what Conte and Mourinho were. Very, you know, look, they're, a club of this size is lucky to have someone like us who's won titles here, there, and everywhere. I'm not saying, you know, Postacoglu's lucky, but I don't. He doesn't have the air. He doesn't have that arrogance, maybe. No, absolutely. It feels like he's mo- he's on the way up, and he sees Tottenham as something as a huge achievement to get this job, yes. and, and something he really wants to make a success of. There's a big contrast there, and also what Adam was talking about, he, how how shaped he's been by his upbringing, the importance he places on football clubs as institutions, the importance he places on the supporters, all of these things that are going to be so welcome to the ears of Tottenham fans after. A year or so of being told by Conte basically that their club wasn't great. You know, no one really wants to hear that. And and yes, of course there are problems. No one's saying Spurs is perfect as a club. No club is. But I think Postacoglu is going to come in and really give them that sense that yeah, he's delighted to be here and that he genuinely believes it to be a special club. One thing I know about Ange, or two things I know about Ange, he. he- he he loves. I wouldn't say he loves hearing. No one loves hearing it, but he doesn't mind hearing people say, "You can't do this. Mm-hmm. This can't yeah. be done." Because he 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 tried to transform the way the national team played. A perception of oh, we can just sit back, soak up um, a bit of pressure. No, at twenty fourteen World Cup, we played on the front foot. Didn't get a result, but scared Nearly the living daylights out of of Chile and Holland. Absolutely, and Louis van Gaal on that occasion didn't know what hit him in the first 55 minutes and in the end class told. But another thing um, that he that he absolutely um, carries with him everywhere 
is his insistence that he knows his way is the right way to play football and he won't be changed on it. And will it be the detriment? I'm not sure when you get to where he is now with Spurs and, and the competition that exists and the, the pointy end of the Premier League. But my goodness, it's going to be fun finding out from our perspective. Um, not sure about a, a hardened Spurs fan because they might go through some ups and downs that they've um, experienced heavily in the last few years. Well, yeah, but 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 at least they'll have some ups there, Charlie. <laughs> I think mm. I think you'd rather you'd rather have ups with some downs than just being permanently bored. Absolutely, I, <laughs> I I do just think the key thing here with Postecoglou is pretty much wherever he's been, there's been a bit of a slow start results wise because he does ask players to play in a very specific way. And it takes time and it's almost necessary to make errors doing it just will happen. There's just no way you're gonna completely revolutionize how a team plays and it's gonna be seamless. But generally where he's been I mean, even at Celtic, the results weren't great initially and there was some skepticism and he he prickled a bit at, at you know, criticism and said, you know, how how can you be making these judgments so early? Unfortunately, the reality of modern life, certainly modern life is a big Premier League club is that people do want instant results. So I think there, there, there are going to be teething problems. There are going to be some bad results. There are going to be some games early on where Spurs look really shaky defensively because they're trying to play this new way. They're playing out from the back. They're playing attacking, whatever it is. I just think for him to be a success, the club in general, be that the hierarchy, be that supporters, to an extent the media, have to give him some time, you know, and say results aren't going to be instant, but he will, he backs himself, give him, give him the time and they will come. Do you, do you, do you still fear that even though this appointment has now been, what are we today? June, you know, June the 6th. So this appointment has now been made on June the 6th. Therefore he's got a whole summer, a whole pre-season to work with, players now there may be some who can't do what he wants them to do and I understand that but but the other thing of course is they've managed to put a a manager in place now Tottenham before a transfer window opens the last time they did that was May 2014 with Pochettino so he does have he already has some time that must be a benefit it will definitely be a benefit and, and for sure, you know, a lot of comparisons are being made with the search for Nuno Espirito Santo in 2021, partly because incredibly the search has lasted the exact same number of days, 72. But that's slightly deceptive because they were basically hustled into appointing Nuno then because preseason was a week away. And as you say, that the transfer window was well underway. This is very different. Like he he has time to come in now. Preseason's still a little while off. He can get things in place. He can start thinking about the summer tour, which coincidentally, part of it is to Australia. Um, So it will definitely help. But I still think um, there are going to be, you know, it's it's great that they've got that preparation. But I still think there are going to be games early on where they're caught out trying to play the Postacoglu way, which, which, by the way, Mm. won't worry him at all. He will see that as completely normal. And the thing he insists is that you keep doing it and you keep being brave. Has he? You mentioned you mentioned the national team, Adam. Has he? Has his? Has he always had a similar way? I appreciate styles change over time because mm. the game changes over time. But has his style always been fairly similar, or how much was he shaped by being uh, Yokohama, which was part of the City Football Group? So I'm interested how being part of the City Football Group may be added to his ethos. 
Yeah, I don't think it. Yeah, that didn't shape him. It was long before there. Like he played attacking football in his first full time job with with South Melbourne. Um, incidentally, a little anecdote there. South Melbourne, I mentioned before, is a is a ethnically a Greek club set up by Greek immigrants, I should say. Um, and you, you talk about managing up. Well, he had a, a board of sixteen people, um, sixteen uh, <laughs> angry Greek men. Sometimes <laughs> on a Thursday night to face. So managing up came really easily for him. So he um, he, he got hold of that quick smart, but. Look, he tried to play proactive football with the young um, national teams of Australia from 2000 to 2007 to his detriment sometimes because they didn't have the preparation because they were playing part-time or whatever and they came up against Asian sides who um, had full-time preparation. Then he gets his gig with Brisbane Raw and to to make the point of yet yeah, slow starts, he had a, a squad including players like Craig Moore, um, Charlie Miller, established professionals who had a bit of a reputation for enjoying their football and enjoying their social life, if you know what I mean. But Ange went, nah, this is my way. And those guys filtered out of the club next season with the whole preseason. They come back, win the whole thing and play a style of football that at the time Pep was doing his thing with Barcelona. Brisbane Raw became Raw Salona, <laughs> colloquially, <laughs> you know, just t- taking it a bit um, to an extreme. But from then always attacking with Melbourne victory when he took over. With the Australian national team, he wanted the ball on the deck and play forward. I remember a number of times sitting there on the sideline listening to him not just scream but berate players. If they had the opportunity to play forward and they played back, he would lose his mind. He doesn't lose his mind at refs. He doesn't lose his mind at opposition managers unless they come over and give it to him, which is very rare. But he will give it to a player publicly and privately if they don't do what he sees as the way forward in football games. And he did it with Yokohama and then obviously with sort of Celtic and he's going to do the same with Tottenham. What's interesting with that as well is I was talking to one of his players at Brisbane Raw, Thomas Broick, who was who made a huge difference. He and, and in classic Postacoglu style, he convinced this guy who was, uh, he'd been like a former prodigy for Germany, hadn't quite made it, uh, but he convinced him to leave the Bundesliga. He's still only 29 and come and play for Postacoglu at Brisbane Raw. He did and was a huge success and helped them win two straight titles. But what he said was interesting on the berating the players point is that he would berate you. He would berate the player, not who lost the ball. He would berate the players for not making the right angles and movements for that player. And he told a story that once one of their centre-backs gave the ball away, it led to a goal, and he was expect. you know, I think you'd expect then in the dressing room, maybe he'd be the one who got the dressing down. Postacoglu came in straight away and was like, that guy is starting next week. He's the one who's trying to do the right things. All of you <laughs> are not doing the right things. You all need to get your arse in gear. And, and that's him all over. It's all about, if you do the right things, play the way I'm telling you, we're not going to have a problem. If you don't, if you're not brave, and brave is a word he uses again and again and again, then we're going to have problems. There was another one in a national team game as well, Mark, that uh, we were playing against Greece in Melbourne, Australia. And Adam, he wanted his keepers basically almost on the centre circle, on the edge of the centre circle, like be a, a third centre back, if you like, for distribution. We lost the ball in midfield, and poor old Adam Federici is like 30, 40 metres away from <laughs> his goal, and he's got lobbed. Goal goes in. So we ask Ange after the game, Ange, are you disappointed that Federici was so high? And he goes, nope. I'm absolutely full of admiration for him. He's doing what I said. It was the guys in front of him that lost the ball. It's their fault and they'll be blamed. So that's him.
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Just get it into your heads. We never stop. We never stop. We'll stop at half time and we'll stop at the end of the game when we celebrate. But during the game, we don't stop. If the opposition wants to stop, that's good for us. We'll f-ing take advantage of it. Is this Tottenham squad then built for him? Or what or or not? Well, do you know what's interesting there is that he his view is that it's more about your attitude and your mentality. Your ability to play Ange ball is more about your attitude and your mentality. Are you brave enough uh, to make mistakes? Do you have the nerve to keep wanting the ball in tight areas? And when you've got fans, 60,000 fans saying, who fit, not listening to them and actually having the courage of your convictions to do the things you're told. So I think he'll come in and look at the squad and very quickly work out, okay, who who's courageous enough, uh, who's willing to learn, who wants to play my kind of football. He says it's more about that than it is ability. Um, so it's really interesting looking at the squad. I think one issue that any manager who likes to play four at the back, which Postacoglu does, he likes to play a 4-3-3, has with this Spurs squad is that it's been built to play a 3-4-3 over the last couple of years. Mm. You know, there are a lot of wingbacks in there. There are a lot of people who prefer to play in a back, centre-backs that prefer to play in a back three than a back two. So that is an issue. There's going to be a, have to be a huge overhaul this summer and, you know, in January and then next summer. And that's another reason why I think he has to have time because it's not going to be seamless. And how involved is he in that overhaul, Charlie? Bearing in mind, they have had a sporting director, director of football in the past. They don't have one at the moment. He's been he's been very fruitful and very canny in the transfer market when you look at um the Celtic squad now compared to when he came in. So how are how are Tottenham going to address who has responsibility for what? Yeah, that's another really interesting question because he did have a degree of autonomy at Celtic that he's just not gonna have at Spurs, assuming they do eventually appoint a director of football, which they will. You know that's very much the plan. As you mentioned, they don't have one at the moment because uh, Paratici's gone. So the extent to which that's a collaborative process, I imagine it will be. I mean, he will. He's had a lot of success buying players from Japan, a market that obviously he knows very well from his time with Yokohama. Mm-hmm. 
So he did that with Celtic. I think he'll want to do that again. I mean, one of his big things is, you know, both, both as Australia manager, one of his key messages was to the players, get rid of this inferiority complex about Aussies and football. Likewise, when he was in Japan, same thing, was would tell them there are a lot of unhelpful stereotypes about Japanese and East Asian mm-hmm. footballers. Forget all that. And so I think he will be trying to tap into those markets that he has a greater knowledge of than others. So he will definitely have some say, but I don't. it's not going to be like at Celtic or at his previous clubs. And that's another really interesting dynamic. How will he cope with not being the kind of master of all he surveys, you know, working into a director of football. These are all the kind of dynamics that we'll see unfolding and and will be really interesting. It was a very knowing nod, Adam. It was a very knowing yeah. nod on the inferiority <laughs> complex. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he loves that. Oh, like he, some of his speeches, and I talked to some of the, the people who were with him on the, on the Socceroos staff, the Australian national team, and they still smile at some of the, like even they at 11 o'clock in the morning for a, a pre-lunch meeting on tactics for the game that night, they would end that. And I'm talking middle-aged men who are no way, um, shape or form, ready to get out on a international football <laughs> stage. They were ready to go and rabbit, grab a soccer shirt and run through a brick wall for the guy. So motivationally, and, and he knows he, the trigger points to hit with his players and always has. I think with a transfer window, he, he will require help and a scouting network um, because now his scope in terms of where he can get players uh, is a lot greater. Like mm. the, the finances available to an English Premier League manager are infinitely greater than anything he's ever experienced in his life. So, look, there, there are players out there. He'll know the, the strength of Ange is to know exactly the technical detail of the type of player that he wants and he can identify them quickly. So they won't be surprised. It'll lessen the impact of maybe getting a surprise that he, he doesn't want, if you know what I mean. But, yeah, he'll um, he'll be – the fact that it's done now and tells me that he would have known about this for a few months or a month at least so he could be keeping his eye on it and maybe like I was glued to the screen being a Newcastle fan for that 5-0 in 20 minutes, um, <laughs> which to me was one of the greatest com- comedies of um, on television I've seen this season. But, no, uh, he, he'll know the strengths and weaknesses of these players pretty quickly. So he'll hit the ground running, I think. And, um, yeah, it'll be a slow start to the season by comparison to the expectation. But there'll be vast improvement in a lot of players that are actually already there as well. I'm going to lump all Tottenham fans in again, Charlie, and you're obviously going to have to speak on behalf of all of them. But the, the other thing that comes with how he has succeeded in the transfer market is is also whether, and Tottenham aren't alone in this amongst the big Premier League clubs, whether a fan base is ready to, you know, Matt O'Reilly at Celtic has been absolutely phenomenal who they brought from MK Dons. Now, Deli Alley went from MK Dons mm. to, to Tottenham many, many years ago. It feels like the game has changed though. It's all about marquee signings, star signings. Um, I wonder, where, are, are the fan base ready for canny signings? Yeah, that I mean, again, I guess a bit like with Postacoglu, because they finished eighth last season, um, and there's there's kind of a sense that well that didn't work. So I think they will be a bit more open minded to trying different things. Whether they will be if results aren't good straight away, I'm not sure. But I don't think um, I don't think they'll need necessarily big marquee names. I mean, the th- the thing is that that colours all of this is Harry Kane because that's really, 
I think if you oh, asked any... Oh, now we'd done, we'd done 25 minutes and we haven't, <laughs> we haven't got to it. And here it comes, lumbering but, interview. But like, if, you, if you ask any Spurs fan, what is your number one priority this summer? I think most would, in the transfer window, I think most would say keeping Harry Kane and everything else kind of flows from that. Um, you know, I think there's... <laughs> There'll be a degree of open-mindedness with Postacoglu that he can go and, and make signings that he wants. And and the the really important thing is there's been this complete lack of alignment at Spurs under Conte where you had a director of football in Paratici who, broadly speaking, was trying to bring in younger players. Not not super young, but guys of like, you know, early to mid-20s who could come into the first team pretty much straight away but had resale value as well. Whereas Conte wanted like Ivan Perisic. So there's this huge disconnect. And I think that there'll, there'll at least be some relief from Tottenham fans that you've got a manager who is should be getting this, the kind of players he wants. Like I, I think you'll be seeing players who are very obviously Postacoglu players coming in. Will, um, will Kane have been asked about the new manager? I'm sure he will. You know, he's an important stakeholder at that club. We know that he and the senior players spoke to Daniel Levy when Ryan Mason came in. So actually, they wanted Mason to come in when Stellini did. I think the Kane thing's really interesting on the manager. And I wrote a piece about this a few weeks ago, saying that there tended to be an assumption from a lot of people that you know the way to keep Kane at Spurs was to bring in a Conte or a Mourinho, someone who would wow him and show, look, we're a serious big club. You don't need to leave. We've got this huge name. And yes, he enjoyed working under them, but they didn't convince him to sign a new contract. And my view is you you bring in someone who gets all the players feeling like they're part of something, like they're moving in the right direction and that they're improving and that they enjoy coming into work each day. And then the rest will kind of take care of itself. Whether that's enough to keep Harry Kane specifically, we don't know whether there's any manager who's enough to keep Harry Kane. But I think if if the mood is good and if he feels like he's developing and improving as a player, that is going to help. Whether it's enough, we don't know. One man who will know exactly what Ange Postacoglu is about and the style of football uh, is Son Heung-min, who played, obviously, for Korea in some big matches against the Socceroos. Notably Scored, didn't 20, he, in the Asia Cup final? 2015 Asian Cup final. And he, no doubt, Harry Kane, uh, would have had some kind of communication with his uh, his counterpart to say, what's this guy about? What kind of football are we playing here? What What's the feeling? And Son Heung-min... Um, is good friends with oh, friends, former teammates in Germany with Robbie Cruz, who played a lot under Ange Postacoglu as well. So there would have been information filtering from one to the other that can be passed on to anyone in that Spurs dressing room about exactly what they're about to encounter. The, the feeling was at Celtic when he took over that, to, from talking to the Celtic fan I was talking to last night, Charlie, was that if he arrived at a club and somebody said they didn't want to be there, then he basically goes, well, that's fine. Off you go. And Scott Brown, Odson Edward, Ryan Christie all, all left Celtic around that time. I think it's different in this situation. I, I nobody, nobody, and we're doing all of this. Nobody knows what Kane's thinking because mm. he, he doesn't talk about it. So uh, would it be different with him? Well, again, this is what's so interesting because um, sort of being tactful and playing political you know, doing the politically sensible things are not really part of Postacoglu's makeup. He he is very black and white about that sort of thing. So I can imagine his instinct. If he got the sense that Kane was wavering, I think what he would really want to say is, well, 
fine. You can move. You know, I, I I don't think he'd be doing it in a sort of Conte to Diego Costa kind of way, texting him or making that publicly known. <laughs> but I honestly think deep down that is how he would feel. And I think he would back himself. What, what I think is a, a potential upside of Postacoglu is that if Kane were to go, I don't think that would phase Postacoglu one bit. He would say, okay, he's gone. I want players who completely want to be here. Let's get some players who completely want to be here and we move forward. Whereas like, can you imagine if Conte or Mourinho had lost Kane? Oh my God. You know, it would be like... Oh my God, the toys would have been flying everywhere. It would be like, what what am I supposed to do? You just sold our best player. I really don't think that would happen. I think Postacoglu would feel it was the right decision always to sell a player who who wasn't 100% committed. I can... can do the impersonator. I probably can't do his voice, but I can say what he's going to say at the press conference if he's asked about it first up, which he will be if Kane does go to Real Madrid or Bayern Munich. Is mate, it's his choice. He's gone. Um, really, I'm really focused on who's here and good luck to him over there. But all we're worried about, mate, is the players that I've got control of. <laughs> That's what he'll say. That's about as emotional as he will get about. Yeah, it. yeah. What would be what would be a success at the end of the first season? Do you think? for him and Tottenham? Well, I think this is such an interesting question because whilst putting together this big profile I've done on Postacoglu, I I tended to ask people that question. And often they responded with, well, what does success look like for Tottenham right now? You know, I think they are in a period of transition. And I I think there's a world in which they come sixth say and play, but it looks like they're moving in the right direction. And we say, yeah, I think that was a pretty successful season. Or one in which they do a little bit better but are still not playing great and it's all a bit just relying on Kane to bail them out. And we think that isn't great. I think, without wishing to sound too much like Postacoglu myself, it I think success does look like that they've got a tangible way of playing. It looks like the players believe in it and that the direction of travel is a positive one. I think the... Ange won't look big picture or publicly look big picture and he won't say that um, at all. I'd be very surprised if he says that, oh, we make a proclamation, I'm the special one, I'm going to win titles here, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but I can see Spurs, yeah, improving and, and getting into that. And because now you, you look how loaded it is with the top sides, Manchester City, uh, they're not going to go anywhere. Arsenal improved greatly this season. Manchester United look to be going in the right direction on the pitch at the very least. Chelsea cannot possibly be that bad under Maurizio Pochettino next season. Uh, Liverpool, they've got something to prove as well. Um, my mob, Newcastle, they're going to have difficulties, I think, because of the Champions League um, exertions on top of the intensity that Eddie Howe wants his squad to play. But they'll improve the squad and what are they going to do next season? So breaking into that top four, once upon a time, it was, oh, who's going to finish fourth? Who might sneak into that top four? Now it's, who's going to sneak into that top six? You look at Brighton and what an achievement they had this mm-hmm. season, almost Aston Villa as well under Unai Emery. And you've got all these managers who are now absolute technicians in their craft in the top echelon. It's really changed the profile of manager. And I find that fascinating. And Postacoglu will, will back himself to match it with those guys and, and maybe break in that top six. So finally, how how big is this for for Australian sport? Actually, I mean, you know, there's some of them going to get smashed in the ashes, but uh, but for Australian sport and um, and Australian football, how how big is this? 
Yeah, well, it's taken a Kiwi to make you play cricket properly, but anyway. Um... <laughs> well, two, two actually, if you include Ben Stokes growing up there for a while. But anyhow, yeah, yeah go on. <laughs> true. We digress. We digress. It's huge. It's huge. Look, it, it probably won't get the back page here because football is always viewed as this kind of exotic second cousin of Australian sport, which I find hideous because you, you saw the, the pictures, you would have seen them over at the World yeah. Cup, Mark, of, of coming from Melbourne and Sydney of like millions of people yeah. in the street watching these games and setting off flares at 4 o'clock in the morning and all that. It, it is a big thing and it deserves huge coverage. It's going to get bigger coverage there in England, notably, because it's a big club in Tottenham. But it's massive for me. I'm heavily involved in um, Australian football all the way down to watching my son play and, and seeing grassroots football happen every every weekend. It, it gives people hope that if they get into coaching, one day if they end up having a team and having ideals as big and, and look at the whole thing as big as Ange, that there are possibilities that previously weren't there. So Craig Johnston came over as a kid and somehow knocked the door down at Middlesbrough and got a gig with Liverpool and played in all those big games mm-hmm. in the 80s for Liverpool. Um, and that opened the door and opened the eyes to so many young players here in Australia that it was possible to go to Europe and go to England and succeed. And I've no doubt this is going to have a similar effect on coaching in this country, which can only be a good thing. Lovely to talk to you both. Thank you very much, Adam, Charlie. See you both soon. For more from The Athletic, along with our daily podcast, subscribe for just £1.99 a month. For the first 12 months, just head to theathletic.com slash football pod. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.